Okay, okay. Hi, everybody. It's me, Kevin Allred. This is Beyond Pop Culture. I'm back. It's been a really long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for not having another episode sooner. It's kind of an extended hiatus without any warning. Um, I guess it's just been, you know, a bit hard lately with Donald Trump ruining America and the world. And I mean, it's not brand new. He's he's extending things that have already been going on, but it kind of feels hopeless in a new way. Um, so it's been hard to jump back on the podcast and talk about pop culture, even though we don't, we don't talk just about pop culture. It's, you know, about why it's important in other ways. Uh, um, and, and puts the, all these messages out into society. But it's been just feeling a little depressing and hopeless and all of that. But got to get over it, uh, you know, get back back on the horse, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's been going on. Maybe you've been listening or maybe you're brand new um, here now that it, it's almost like a brand new podcast since we've been gone for so long. But we're back, and I even got a spiffy new microphone, but it keeps fucking up, so <laughs> this could be an interesting process. Uh, <laughs> but there's obviously not enough time to talk about everything that's gone on in the past. God, I feel like it's been even six months. No, it can't be that long. Um, but since I started with the horrible, the horrible fact of the world, Donald Trump, I have to talk momentarily about this ridiculous kerfuffle over the uh, Kathy Griffin photo. Now, I was talking a lot about <laughs> this on Twitter. I don't even like Kathy Griffin. Um, I mean, sh she'll make me laugh sometimes. I don't particularly watch her stand-up shows or her on hosting any of that. Um, I would certainly never pay money <laughs> to go see her in a theater doing comedy. I don't think her comedy is that... To me, it's just mostly making fun of people, um, which is okay for a minute, but it gets old. Uh, <laughs> like Making fun of people that are more famous than her. Um, and so, you know, I don't really follow her, but this photo came out and that I'm sure everyone has seen and heard about uh, where she's holding up the a Halloween mask of Donald Trump with ketchup or fake blood or something on on it. And she's like holding it by the hair. So it looks like I mean, it doesn't even actually look like a head, let's be honest. Um, so obviously this photo comes out and she knew it was going to provoke uh, a, a big response, a, an uproar. And that's like what she was trying to do. She's trying to provoke. She's trying to uh, get attention. I mean, that's part of her comedy shtick too. But she did actually have a an intelligent thought process behind the photo, if we can say that, right? She commented about how she was working with this photographer, this artist, and it got her thinking about the things he had said back, it was about Megyn Kelly, 
who, uh, God, I don't want to talk about her either, but uh, about women, oh, she had blood coming out of her eyes, she had blood come out of her, you know where, what, whatever he said, I can't remember the exact comment, but obviously a really misogynistic, sexist thing to say, and so she, in doing that photo, thought it kind of responded, spoke back to that, and overall just being a political critique of Donald Trump, which is completely valid in any forms, I think. Even if you, even if you, uh, ugh, I don't even want to say that. It makes me feel gross. Even if you support <laughs> Donald Trump, let's take it out of Donald Trump. Even if you support a candidate or a president or a politician or whatever, you know, we have the right to criticize and, and free speech and free expression in whatever ways we want to. So, right, she has every right to do what she wants. I frankly don't find the photo offensive in any way. Um, Donald Trump does much more offensive things on a daily basis. He, uh, he stokes hate and fear and all of these things that are way more offensive than a Halloween mask. Um, and not to mention that we lived, just lived through eight years of, uh, President Obama being mocked and ridiculed and r racist attacks and photos of him, not photos, but like, you know, effigies and, and masks of him being lynched and all of these like absolutely terrible things. And, you know, this one moment is getting so much attention um, of course, Donald Trump himself like stoked that fear and and backlash against her. Like, I don't necessarily believe that her career is over. She's she'll be fine. Like, she got fired from Squatty Potty and CNN and whatever, which shouldn't have happened. But you know, he was on Twitter. Melania put out a statement. The kid, the his grown kids, and he's making it seem like Baron, the eleven year old kid who he just remembered he had an eleven year old kid when this happened. I'm sure they don't live you know, Melania and him live and the taxpayers are paying these millions of dollars to give them security in New York while he lives whatever. I mean, he doesn't even live at the White House. He, like, travels to golf courses every damn weekend. But <laughs> the um, the story turned into, oh, 11-year-old Baron saw it and thought that his father had been like, that it was real. First of all, no, you didn't. A five-year-old would know that that wasn't real. It was a mask. A lot of people were saying it would, you know, if he, want, if he was so concerned, he would know if his father was alive if they lived in the same place, but, which is valid as well. Um, but then it turned into this whole backlash against Kathy Griffin. She's getting fired. She's getting death threats. Um, she's getting all of this stuff, which I can imagine because that faction... Um, get riled up in a particularly violent, maybe it's not particularly, but, but it's, a, it's an especially violent kind of way, especially towards women, people of color, LGBT people, um, not to mention that at the intersections of any of these kinds of things, these identities, um, they're, the, the, they're very hateful and vitriolic and, I mean, they're Nazis, frankly, so... I can imagine that she's she's getting a whole lot of, of, of shit, which anyone who kind of speaks up and says anything about Trump gets, and I'm sure she's getting it even heavier because of the way it was spun and perpetuated on in the media. Um, 
but she had every right to make the photo. I think I, I like I kind of want to buy. You can buy one of those masks on Amazon for fifteen bucks, and I kind of feel like it would be worth it to. I mean, I'm not Kathy Griffin. No one's going to care about the picture um, if I recreate it. But I think people should recreate it and keep posting it. It's not. It's violent, but it also bugs me that then every liberal pundit, every liberal. A celebrity has to make this statement kind of condemning the photo even when they defend the right oh, what Kathy Griffin did was horrible it was violent it wasn't violent it wasn't a threat it wasn't there was no it wasn't threatening behavior the secret service are investigating her for for threats against the president now which is completely ridiculous Everyone has to come out with this condemnation, but she had the right to make it, but she shouldn't have been doing it in this way. And I hate that idea because it links that kind of expression and speech, which is totally different from, you know, all these white supremacists that are saying their free speech is being curtailed by not being able to speak on campuses, like Richard Spencer, the Nazi that gets punched in the face every five well if we're lucky every every day or more once once or more a day if we're lucky um and like ann coulter who i don't even know how to describe her uh, it's not the same thing because one is offering a, a critique and commentary one is per, per um putting hate speech hate speech out there and it's a misconception that hate speech isn't covered by the First Amendment, hate speech actually is covered by the First Amendment. There's a thing called the Fighting Words Doctrine, which is an exception to the First Amendment. And what Kathy Griffin did is would not be considered that. And what Richard Spencer or Ann Coulter do is, I, in my opinion, and I think um, if it were to go to a court, a court's opinion would be that the, the Fighting Words Doctrine, it, that their speech is part of that because it, it means that if you say something that is meant to rile up and promote hatred of a group in which, of any group in which a member of that group would reasonably, if, if they were be called fighting words, a member of that group would reasonably, reasonably take action back against you for what you're saying, then it's called fighting words and it's not part of it. It's an exception to the First Amendment. It's not covered. It's, you know, there's also things like screaming fire in a theater um, when there isn't any, any immediate danger. So those things that incite uh, or have a high probability of inciting riot or hatred or whatever, those things aren't covered. And it's a difficult conversation to have about why some speech like that, like of Richard Spencer or Ann Coulter, should be shut down. And I and I do believe it should. I don't believe in this kind of holding hands across that kind of divide, like the ACLU supporting Richard Spencer, Spencer, just as much as the ACLU should support Kathy Griffin. I don't believe in that. I don't think that their civil liberties are being violated. I think their speech is a different kind of speech. And it's hard, you know, that's a hard conversation to have, especially with liberals, especially with white liberals. We just had Bill Maher saying, I mean, Bill Maher, the, the talk show host, has a long history of racism and Islamophobia and these kinds of things. But he used the n-word and in a in a really 
in a, I guess he thought it was a joke about slavery in which he was comparing himself to a slave. I don't, I don't know what exactly his thought process was. Um, but it happens right after the Kathy Griffin thing. And you see a lot of, especially white liberals, um, you know, defending his, defending what he said, oh, well, I know him or he does so much good. I believe in what he stands for other, other than this, of course. Um, but then on the other hand, they're the same people that are really condemning the Kathy Griffin photo. I just, you know, there's a tendency to say, oh, well, we have to stand up for everyone's right to say, or even if we don't agree with it, I don't, I just, I, we got to find a way to get around that. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't have the answer. I mean, I think, I think the answer is lie in that there are some exceptions to the free speech uh, clause. And even in, in Kathy Griffin's sense, it's more expression or art as speech because it was a visual image. Um, and visual images can be powerful, but it, it wasn't calling for violence in any way. It was a critique of the violence that the, the president perpetuates uh, on a t- hourly, minutely, that's not a word, but basis every day. Anyway, this is, you know, I just wanted to kind of mention that it's really been annoying me because then now here I am writing so hard for Kathy Griffin, who I usually just don't even really care about or don't think is that big of a deal. But I think it is important to come and stand up for her right to have that that she went and apologized she shouldn't have had to apologize it's just sad that it's becoming i mean it feels very much like the beginnings of i I haven't lived through other famously fascist time periods unless you're just counting all time periods as fascist in some regard but it, it feels very scary in that way where in it's like this rise of fascism that you know we're allowing because we keep making excuses or we keep saying oh well she never should have done it but she had the right to do it no i i think it it should be celebrated without qualification in that case because to do anything otherwise is to allow those little steps towards curtailing speaking back to who to not just the office of president, but the particular person that is in that office right now, um, which is really scary. I was just in Vienna a few weeks ago for a couple of politicizing Beyonce talks, which was really fun because they were in a different... I mean, well, they were fun just because they were fun, but it was cool because they were in a different venue than I usually do. Like, I'm usually in schools and universities or, like, more educational um, traditionally educational spaces. And for this, I was at a part of a performance art festival. So I was in this little club, people could have, you know, their wine and their beer while we're talking and people were sitting on pillows on the floor. It was just really cool to have it in a different space. Um, oh, I think my point was everyone over there is asking like, what's going on? How's, oh, so you live in New York. What is it like there? Just like walking down the street now, like they have this, it, it's actually true. The feeling changed after it changed after the election, but it certainly has changed after 
the inauguration where it does kind of feel different. Just the affect of the world feels differently. Um, like, how is it just walking down the street? Do you like see people and, you know, can you, can you tell if people are upset or if they're supporters or not supporters? Um, and if it's not already obvious, like everyone in other places is just laughing at America <laughs> because of like, how did, how did you all let this happen? I know some other shit happens in other countries, but how did you do this? Why did you do this? I'm like, I, I don't know. I was wearing my fuck Donald Trump shirt. They wrote a, sh uh, which I have, um, and you should get one. You can just order one like from one of those make your own t-shirt websites. Uh, a lot of people ask me where I got it when I'm wearing it. It's nothing fancy. I just picked a font and put it on a shirt. And I was I didn't know if they would print it at first, but it, it arrived at my doorstep and I wear it all the time. Uh, they wrote an article, and I don't speak German, but they were writing an article about me in the talks. And the only English words were fuck Donald Trump. And I really appreciated that that's like, I guess that can be my brand going worldwide now. <laughs> Um, anyway, to move off of, actually not to really move off of politics, to, but to move more into uh, a pop culture space, even the show is completely about politics, we have to talk about House of Cards. Uh, I just want to talk about a few, I mean, I've been, a bunch of these Netflix shows that, you know, release all at once have been coming out with new seasons, and so I feel like that's all I'm going to talk about today <laughs> for this episode. Um, but House of Cards came back finally, which felt like it had been gone for a while. Um, with the fifth season, uh, but the but the thing that surprised me so much this time is like it's it's talking about that whole affect of the world or life just changing a little bit. Watching House of Cards now while Donald Trump is president is like watching the Cartoon Network, it feels like there's, it, it's, you know, I I was late to this show, like I hadn't watched all the seasons as they came out, I'm, I, I think I binged the whole series as the, the fourth one, fourth season was out, just the last one, uh, before this current one, so it's kind of all jumbled in my mind, and there was like a, a, a couple rough weeks where it was, I was just feeling really depressed and and dark and people were like what's going on with you and it was I think it was because I was watching House of Cards so rapidly and I remember like the shocks that are involved the the manipulation how devious they are and all of this stuff that just seems so completely tame now just you know the first it picked up a little in the in the middle of the season for me there were some moments, and actually the standout thing that kept me watching was really Patricia Clarkson's performance. Um, she kind of breathed a new life into the show, I thought, because otherwise it was just a lot more of the same, but the same that happened during the last season given the political the actual political climate and given the world around us now is just not only does it feel weirdly exactly the same and I think Robin Wright said this in an interview about the show you know Donald Trump stole all our tricks and it it's really true there's the 
election manipulation. There's, although that had started earlier in the seasons, there's the Russian thing with the characters. It's it's a v- Victor Petrov, Vladimir Putin, obviously. I mean, Frank Underwood in the show is a Democrat and... Trump is obviously not, but the, the outcome is the same. The stuff about power that they're talking about is very easily seen in, and maybe they became more uh, explicit about all of that because of, of the rise of Trump, which had to have been as they were filming, or or they went back and added more after they saw what was happening. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't read articles about all of that. But it's it's pretty evident that it's it's not new or shocking because it's so similar to what we've already just lived through. And living through it in, you know, that was part of the fun of House of Cards, I thought. And it's often part of the fun of a lot of these political shows. I mean, something like Scandal. Scandal's a little more soap opera-y, so it, it doesn't feel as real. It still is, I mean, I still, I would rather watch Scandal, but uh, it doesn't feel as, you know, House of Cards is feels really parallel to politics, even when we were living under a different administration, just the inter- the inner workings of the politics. And um, now that it's all coming out with daily press briefings and the Russia investigation in real life and all of these things, watching House of Cards is just like, so, so what? So what? I mean, there's a couple fun turns where Claire, you know, and the performances are just as good as they've ever been. They're, but it's like there's nothing new. Claire surprises you a few times, and that's, but it, it still doesn't feel like enough in this climate. Um, and she she speaks to the camera in a couple weird ways. I I found them weird. I found it weird the way they chose because at the end of the fourth season, you finally you see her break the fourth wall and look at the camera for the first time, kind of acknowledging that she either has known it, we were there. Right, I was gonna say it the camera, but it's kind of meant to represent us. Um, and just ignored it and wasn't caring. And she kind of alludes to that this season as well. Or if it was a shift in the power so that now she's aware that they're, that we're watching or that someone is watching. Um, and that's cool, but it just, you know, it didn't, it didn't feel like it does enough to, uh, and I mean, maybe that's just a, a byproduct of the times a show like this doesn't work anymore. Um, I don't know. It felt really stale by the end to me. It was still interesting enough. Uh, and like I said, Patricia Clarkson kept me watching. I, I love her as an actress anyway. And I thought Nev Campbell was really uh, amazing and kept it from being too boring. My sister joked and said, oh, Nev Campbell kept something from being boring. <laughs> That's so mean. But I, I mean, I've never found Nev Campbell boring, but I guess I don't really think about her often. So... I thought she was good. The rest of it was just so much more of the same that it felt stale and it it, it it didn't do anything. It didn't shock me in the ways that the other seasons had and maybe it can't anymore um, unless it takes a completely different turn. You know, sometimes shows do that. I think Homeland did a whole kind of 
and not for the same reasons, but this whole revamping the show and going in a new direction, even to some extent the the last season of Veep, how she, you know, you can only do so many seasons of her in the White House, and so now she's kind of, you know, she loses the election and she's just a private citizen, and it allowed for, I wouldn't say like this whole new birth to the show, but it allowed for a little... Uh, to go on a different track, still keeping this the same things that made it smart and good, but gave you a little bit of break from the actual politics of it. Um, it felt like that's what they're trying to do by the end of House of Cards, but it, I don't know how it's really going to work with the, with the characters that we have. But at any rate, I mean, the performances are great. The filming is, is good. Uh, but it's just interesting how, you know, people are, we're worn out. I think, I think we're worn out by, I certainly am. I find myself so tired just by the news. You know, you wake up at eight in the morning, you're so tired by 10 because 13 stories have I already fired in and Sean Spicer's lied about a thousand things. And it's just like, what? You're ripping your hair out. I don't know. I don't want to go back to that. Let's keep going with TV. This is off Netflix, though. But Handmaid's Tale, we've got to talk about Handmaid's Tale because, again, um, this eerily parallel (laughs) political... We get less of the politics actual politics of this dystopian society in Handmaid's Tale, but it's this dystopia that we have a a future society in which women have more or less become property of... I mean, women have lost all their rights. The the only thing that's different about (laughs) the the world then is that it's it's kind of precipitated by a a, a plague or, a, or something that infertility is kind of run rampant and so women can't give birth anymore or or very few women can give birth and there's no real explanation as to why it's happened it's just happened and so this very religious fundamentalist group kind of institutes a civil war, blows up the White House and and Congress and and sets up their own new society, which is called Gilead, and it's in like the Northeast. Specifically the events they're talking about are around Boston. Um, and so women that are fertile become handmaids and are assigned to a high profile family and have to you know, go through the ceremony every month, which is to sleep with the husband. The wives, the if they're upper class, these these ruling class people, the wives still are the wives, but they're infertile, so they can't have babies, so they have the handmaid to kind of be the intermediary. This is all based on a book by Margaret Atwood, which if you've read, it's it's named, you know, one of the classic feminist literature, certainly feminist speculative fiction novels, um, and it's a great book. There, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with the show. At first, I really was enjoying it more than I thought I would. It 
the filming again the the way they captured the society the filming and my favorite part about the show is the music and the silence the way they use music and silence um is really in i don't know if innovative is the right word but it's really interesting and fun and surprising at times and it makes watching it creepy and you know you have this like skin crawling feeling not just because of the subject matter but also because of the way it's so silent and then oftentimes music will come in in a in a really surprising way anyway there's my least favorite part of the show is elizabeth moss i don't like elizabeth moss a lot of people do and that's fine like i i I, just, I don't know what it is about her, but sh- she's a fine actress. Well, I think part of it is she's a Scientologist, and I can't get past that. Once I know an actor or celebrity is a Scientologist, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's not sad because I think they're a weird cult. It, it like makes me like them less if I like them already. If I don't like them, it gives me another reason to not like them. Uh, <laughs> she's a fine actress, and she does good in the role, but it starts to wear on you, I think, on me at least, the way she's playing the character. And for if you've read the book, I feel like people might like the show more if they haven't read the book, because the book has a little more of a, um, I don't know what the word is. So the book tells the story, right? Elizabeth Moss's character is is the main character of the book, Offred, right? So the handmaids are named of Fred. The commander's name is Fred. So each one is the property of, and not just the family, but of the man, the, the husband, right? Of Fred. So it tells her story. She's, she's trying to escape. She has had a kid um, that gets separated from her and her dealings with this family and we know at the end of the book that she somehow got away from them at some point we don't know why how or why because there's an epilogue in which it's kind of even further in the future to where they've um rectified the the inequality and the terrible situation that was happening or the civil war and like kind of gone back so there's this thing about history moving and in circles and cycles, and they've gone back because the epilogue is this presented as papers at an academic conference in which they're talking about that society, that how did we let it get like that? How how do we prevent it from happening again? Which again is this really depressing idea because we keep, we keep actually doing it. We're living it in real time right now. Um, but they have her story somehow stored on tapes on, on, in books or something. So her story has gotten out and it was one of the things that they can now study to help them understand how that, that's that group of people took over and those, that mentality took over. Right. So again, this is so eerily close to what, and maybe that's why the show's starting to wear on you because it, it might be better in a time where you're a little bit further away from this than we are right now. Um, so the the as the show's gone on, I felt they made some really weird decisions in 
trying to get us... Oh, I was actually going to say the book is more of this like cautionary tale kind of thing. The show is portraying Alfred, Elizabeth Moss. She's like gaining this fight in her. And so it's more of a... I feel like it's going to become more of this feminist revolution story, which in a way the book is too, but in a different way. Because it's offering commentary on itself and the people commenting on the society and showing kind of the the cycle of it all, the circle of it all. And in this, it feels like she's just getting up this... There's two more episodes, I should also say. There's two more episodes of this season. Two, only two, I think. Um, it's an eight... It's a ten-episode season. And... It moves really slowly. It's moving much slower than the book. If, I mean, and at some point, if there's going to be other seasons and things, it's going to have to divert from the, you know, the TV show always does divert from the book. But it's, there's one thing going on, and other people have written about this uh, on a lot of the blogs and recaps of the show. There's one thing going on with race that seems a bit weird. Um... Because in the book and and in the in the show, it's a very religious fundamentalist group, almost a white supremacist group. But in the show, there is specifically, I mean, the world before this happens is meant to kind of reflect our world. And Elizabeth Moss is married to uh, a black man. There's um, Samira Wiley is playing another character who's taken to the the red centers or is what they call them when they take the women who are fertile and kind of train them to be the handmaids. Uh, but then they're, they're not talking about race. There's even some, it felt like there was, I can't remember for sure, but some of the commander's wives seem to be women of color. And in a society like theirs, it feels like there would be more of a white supremacy bent to what they were doing and I get that you know they're trying to make diverse roles for tv and people and all but in a in a world that is like that it feels like it actually counters the call for diversity in a show in one case because you want to represent the actual outcome of what a society like that would be and I think it would be to silence people of color not continue to include them I don't know it it feels weird and then they don't and it could still happen felt like the last episode was the time to have it happen but they each one is kind of mixed with it's kind of like Orange is the New Black where each episode you have a bit of backstory on one of the characters as you're seeing the events that are happening so a lot of it follows Elizabeth Moss's character to see how she got there. But then we've also diverted in these other ways and they've chosen again, like Orange is the New Black, especially its last season, to try and get us to have sympathy with the characters. Well, in my opinion, the the commander and the commander's wife in one, in one sense, the commander's wife, especially, I think that's a really dangerous thing to do in a show like this. And I know, you know, that not everyone is at the same level of responsibility or culpability but the 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 wives in Gilead are just are are as complicit as the men in lots of ways and to get us to feel sympathy with 
her, Serena Joy, is the wife of the commander in this particular house, feels really weird and kind of gross, just like they had tried to get us to feel sympathy with a lot of the characters that I don't think we should have in Orange is the New Black the last season, like the cop who, um, well, if you haven't watched it, the cop who, or the prison guard who accidentally um, kills one of the inmates, the people who had sexually assaulted uh, Pensatucky, the, well, the person, the, the guard, Healy, I don't know, we get all these weird kind of sympathetic stories, which is meant to show us the commonalities, like, even people who mean well sometimes get to this point, but I don't like that story in our pop, in pop culture as much, unless there's more exploration of it, not just a laying on the surface, oh, feel sorry for her, too, she's a victim, too, um, in terms of Serena Joy, because I don't think, especially now, that we need to be, we, I, I think we need to be more forthright and explicit about the way that's handled in pop culture. Anyway, but then in, in terms of them doing that at the expense of not going back, Samira Wiley's character is named Moira. And in the show, they also, you know, she's friends with Elizabeth Moss before they go in, before they're captured. Uh, and you get a little bit of their friendship. We don't really get how they meet, how they know each other. We don't get anything about Moira's backstory. As a black woman, she's also playing a, a lesbian character. Um, we don't get any of that kind of stuff. And it's it feels like a real missed opportunity to... If you're going to explore race in this show, which can be explored in a lot of important ways, I think they dropped the ball in two really big... Um, avenues which are not addressing the white supremacy of the and pretending it's like a post-racial world um and then not not diving deeper into Moira's character which could still be coming maybe they're saving it for another season who knows but I think it should happen at the first and it should have already happened by eight eight episodes in especially this last one which was called Jezebel's and um, Elizabeth Moss's character finally gets to leave the house with the commander. He kind of sneaks her out into this place and she sees that Moira, her friend, is still there. Like That's where it would have made sense to bring her backstory more into it. But instead they chose to give the backstory of this driver who is a back-and-forth character. Like, he starts off as a bad character, good character, kind of torn between helping and being part of the Gilead society. Um, in the book, he's much more of a rebel, uh, kind of crusader type guy that's infiltrating the society. At least I, that's how I felt when I read it. In this one, he's more of a bumbling, what kind, what do I do? kind of person and we got more of his backstory and how he gets dragged into being you know he's not up in the high ranks of the government but he's a driver to a commander so how does he get to that point and again it's I, it doesn't feel necessary to me but anyway we'll see what happens with the rest of the show um i think it's another i don't know maybe just too close to home for for watching right now then so a couple, I always I always yak on too long about all of this and then run out of time. Um, there was another few shows that came out that 
very different. Well, one's a, a, a bit political. But um, Kimmy Schmidt, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt's third season came out, which was, I thought, kind of a snooze. There's some real standout moments. And as always, in all three seasons, the standout moments are Titus Burgess related or centric. <laughs> um, right. If there's a lem- the, they do a lemonade episode, which I had known about because I'd seen or this show films around my apartment and people had seen Titus and taken pictures of him in the lemonade dress and showed me. So <laughs> I knew they were going to do that part. They went even more kind of, uh, in depth to Lemonade and did parts of the other filmed scenes that weren't just the songs, but they include some of the other songs and it's really hilarious. Um, like that episode alone deserves something because his boyfriend, he thinks he's cheating on him because he sees him with this other guy. Well, actually they'd kind of taken a break at the end of the last season and he sees him with this other guy and gets really jealous and, is, it goes lemonading, as he says, and recreates the the some pieces, some key pieces of Beyonce's lemonade, and it's really hilarious. And throughout the rest of the season, he has really funny lines. He's the I think the best actor in the show. Um, the rest of the storylines for the other characters just seem kind of blah and boring, and they don't go anywhere. Um, Titus is the only one. I think it should just be his show. It should. They should just spin it off now into his show. All the characters could stay, but in more minor ways. And well, I guess it would stay. Just name it the Unbreakable Titus Andromeda and, and change it for the next season. Because um, I really don't care about Kimmy's story. Uh, I really don't care about the landlady's story. She does some funny stuff sometimes. but um, And then Jacqueline her weird storyline people for the first two seasons right she's Jane Krakowski she's a white actress but she's playing this Native American secretly Native American because she passes as white character I never had the same kind of um, problems a lot of people did with that portrayal because it it actually makes sense for in terms, as, as as fucked up as it is, it makes sense for the actress to be a white actress playing her because of the way they write it. I mean, maybe the whole thing is a little irresponsible to begin with, but the fact that she plays her in a weird way made sense. Um, they kind of just drop that because they get this, this whole plot to change the name of the Washington Redskins, which they get changed, and then they just drop that plot, which had, had been kind of major in the first two seasons, especially the second season. Um, it's really Titus that saves the show, and he deserves, right, he's been nominated for the Emmy twice, and he really deserves it. He, the, the ability to carry a show that says schmaltzy and corny and cheesy is that, with with authentic acting and emotion is really tough. Um, and he does it flawlessly. Uh, and there's something to be said about this show that's it's fun because it's so optimistic and corny and over the top, and I guess maybe that's what we need more of right now. But at the same time, I wish there would have been some more plot <laughs> or some more stories that seem to 
go somewhere with the other characters. Titus is the only one that goes on, and even his is a little, a little bland, I guess, if you can even use that word with a character like that. Uh, his his storyline doesn't really have much development in it. Um, so I, I'm guessing it's going to come back. People love it for another season. I just hope that there's more, more Titus overall, more, more, um, development in their stories, like start in one place and go to somewhere else, like learn something maybe by the end of the season. (laughs) I know that because of the nature of this show and how corny it is, you can't really take on these huge life development lessons that other shows could, but there's, there's much more that they could do. Um, Master of None Art also came back, which had a lot of people, this is a little bit older now, but everybody talking, because this show really has found a way to, I think, one of the, note, There's, I mean, there's a million things to say, I can't say even many of them now, but one of the most notable to me is that they've, more than any other show, that has taken advantage of taken advantage of this format of dropping a whole season at once because you can explore stories that you couldn't otherwise in a week to week show right because your audience is invested in a particular storyline they come back each week for it if they came back each week and there was this whole other story that doesn't really have a resolution they're not going to come back the next week for the next you know, they're going to lose interest. But what they so brilliantly do, everything's brilliantly filmed, and they use so many different, you know, the first episode's in black and white, and it's like this old Italian movie that they're riffing off of. Because uh, he's in Italy, uh, Dev, the main, Aziz Ansari, is uh, learning how to make pasta in Italy. Um, but they drop in these, particularly two episodes, which I think are the best episodes of the season that if it were a normal week to week show on network TV, they wouldn't have been able to do. And one is the one that just follows these random people that cross paths in New York, one of whom is, is deaf. And when the deaf storyline takes over as they cross, the whole thing goes silent and you watch the the that part of the episode in silence until someone else comes through and then there's this jarring you know, someone starts speaking again and it, cause it lasts about five to 10 minutes of this one story and the main people, you know, Dev, who's the main character doesn't even, you only see them for like a couple minutes at the very first and the very end of the episode. You wouldn't be able to do that and invest and, and, and highlight and show all these different characters around New York city otherwise. And I think that was a really amazing move and then of course the one that everyone 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 is talking about is the coming out episode um around thanksgiving dinner table which really centers on another character not not dev who's like the the i don't want to say pulse of the show but right we're following his kind of looking for love and being his career and just living and he has a couple friends but they're you know some are more or less shown, but this is really, he's in it, but it's really a specific episode about his friend coming out to her mom. Well, also kind of growing into herself and learning that she is a lesbian and it takes place at the Thanksgiving dinner table year after year. 
well, it skips years, but you know, we keep returning and all the action takes place at, at, at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And Dev is there, but he is like the um, supporting character to uh, in this episode. And Angela Bassett is really is is the mom and comes in and does this great guest performance. And an episode like that wouldn't otherwise be able to be just dropped in the middle of a season of a show where you just take a whole different track and go. But those are the most effective episodes because of it, because we learn so much. We see so, so many other stories. You're not just focused on his dating, what he's doing, because most of it is about how he's lonely and dating and all of that. Oh, there's a pretty good Tinder episode, too, or that kind of spoofs Tinder and him going out with all these different girls that he meets and that one's pretty good, but I think these two episodes that divert from the actual narrative of the, or the overarching narrative of the show, and and it's cool because you can do that because even if, even if, say, you're watching the show and you don't care, like you get to this episode about the people passing each other in New York, you don't care, you can just move on to the next one. I don't think people do that, but it gives you the opportunity, and so... And the fact, maybe the fact that you know that keeps you watching to see what's going to happen. But I think if it was on network TV, people could easily just change the channel and then forget to come back the next week because they lost interest, because they didn't know what the characters that they'd come to see were doing. Uh, so I think that's a really genius move uh, in the in the kind of meta world of of how to use this format in new ways because so far you know it's becoming a thing now people drop the whole season and you binge on the season and it's taking over it's the new model of tv but nobody's really explored the format in new and innovative ways i don't think better or even much at all except Master of None, and I, I think that's really cool. Uh, and then lastly, I have to talk about, because this is one of my favorite shows, uh, Sense8, which sadly Netflix just announced they're canceling after the second season. This one is one I can't, I can't binge watch it because there's so much going on. Some people feel that way about House of Cards. Um, but for me, Sense8, because there's eight... Well, there's so many characters, but there's the eight central characters. So to have, first of all, to have eight central characters in a show is a difficult task. And that's why it took me a long time to get into the show to begin with, because like I was just saying, you get attached to this one character and then the next episode is about someone else. You're like, okay, what? I don't, you know, it takes a long time to watch, come back, watch. And then once you finally get the the story laid out and the eight main people kind of fleshed out, so to speak, then it starts taking off and you're like, yes, okay, here we go. And that you're weaving the threads. Because if you have eight major threads that you have to weave, it takes a long time to introduce all of those threads. So the first chunk of the first season is really slow going, but then once it clicks, for me, it really clicked and I was really interested because it's about... It, it's a little bit of a ripoff of, well, it's not a little bit, it's a lot bit of a ripoff of an Octavia Butler um, pattern master. I mean, the stories take much different uh, 
trajectories, but pattern master, these people being connected through their minds and able to kind of control and experience what the others are feeling. And that's what this is um, from eight different people around the world. And it's really cool because it's one of the most diverse shows, I think, on TV, uh, well, on Netflix. And you're getting all these different stories and you're showing how one person of a completely different race or gender or whatever is experiencing the thing that someone else is experiencing in a, in a different body, in a different way, and how it just immediately crosses over and they feel that. Like it's this... So like about empathy, it's about connection, it's about putting yourself in the shoes of someone else, right? Obviously, we don't literally have these mind connections with people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we do. I don't think I have that with anyone, but this idea that we're all connected in these really intricate and important ways is such an important message for right now. I get that it's probably canceled because people haven't watched it as much probably for the reasons that I have experienced, which is it's very hard to binge because of the the intricate plots and it takes a long time to kind of think through everything that's going on. And also, I think a thing that contributed to it being canceled is the cost it must take to... I mean, there's locations all over the world and they have to film them multiple times with the different actors because the cuts back and forth showing the same scene but with one of the eight cluster in place of the others sometimes all eight of them so they're filming the same scene um so many times the cost must be enormous but maybe there's a there's a people online really upset about this and trying to get it back and i hope that it does if not come back completely, then at least give a few episode wrap up or a special film or something like that because the way they left it was a, a big cliffhanger at the end of the second season. Um, but I, it, especially right now, and we're we're feeling so hopeless and divided. And so you know, it it it, sh- it gives an it gives a hope. It gives like a a hope that we can all come together in a, in ways and and reach across our differences in ways that will fight this. And I'm not talking reach across to these like Nazi assholes. I'm talking about all the people that want to counter the Nazi assholes. That we can find ways to come together and work together and and fight them like that's what the show is about they have this group that's trying to hunt down the the people that have this there's the eight cluster that we see but then there's also cluster other clusters of eights all over the place so it's not just them and there's this group that's hunting them down and you know there's discrimination as a metaphor against these people because they're different, but there's also the discrimination in a real sense because, you know, there's a transgender character, there's a, a gay, Mexican gay actor who it, who gets discriminated against when people find out and he comes out. Like, there's the real discrimination and then the meta metaphor discrimination of just the people being different and it's 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 cool how it all blends together and i think it's a really important show that could teach people a lot and it's unfortunate that that's the show that's one of the shows that gets um canceled the get down on netflix has also been canceled um and people are upset because it was one of the other most diverse casts and 
I never had a chance to watch that one, so I guess I'm part of the problem with it being canceled. Uh, but I know a lot of you know these. It's it's sad to lose these really the the most diverse stories, the ones that could teach us the most, the ones that, that could help us see ourselves in other people's experiences and see their experiences in ourselves. I think that's a really important thing to think about, and I hope they can get it back somehow, in even in a small limited release um, or film version. But I don't know. Okay, so that's my like TV roundup of this this last few months big major major series. We also scandal ended in an amazing way too. I'll have to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Um, so thank you again for listening. And I'm, I'm sorry again for being away. Uh, <laughs> I hope to be doing this more regularly again. And we're going to talk about these things and we're going to say fuck Donald Trump and we're going to try and find some happiness or laughter or joy or importance in <laughs> these things that are happening in pop culture. And please let me know what you would like me to talk about on here. Um, after all, it's you giving up a little bit of time to listen to my ranting. And uh, you can tweet me at Kevin Allred. Uh, I talk a lot about all this stuff on Twitter too, constantly. So head over there, or you can check out my website and send me a message. There's a contact form, kevin-allred.com, which in the months that I've been gone, I have completely revamped, redesigned. There's lots of cool stuff over there now. Everything from my teaching, writing, speaking, um, even the music that I have done in kind of a past life. Well, this life, but earlier. And um, all the politicizing Beyonce stuff is over there too. There's a few links. You just click on the drop down menu and you see everything. So it's kind of everything all at once now. And um, so check that out and you can send me a message straight from there. And I will be happy to chat with you, get back with you. Let me know what you want, what you're listening to, watching, talking about, and I will talk about it here too. All right, so I'll catch you in another week. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Bye.